Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcaster needs. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. Now, in today's episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Ryan Weeks, who's a CISO at Datto. And this isn't Ryan's first radio on an EM360 podcast. This is his third since 2019. So we've had the pleasure of having him on once every year. Uh, he's graced us with his presence and filled us on expertise around the state of channel ransomware in the past. And in this episode, he's here to explain the key to building an effective threat-informed and risk-based security program that ensures cyber resilience. So Ryan, welcome back. Good to have you back on. Yeah, it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for thanks for continuing to have me. Of course, you're always welcome and uh, we'll do it again next year. I can always predict it now, so not a problem. <laughs> um, before we get into the questions though, you know, it's it's been a while, so maybe if we just, uh, you wouldn't mind refreshing our listeners into your background and what you do at Datto and, and what you're enjoying at the moment. I've been with Datto for five years. Prior to that, uh, I worked in the financial services um, industry at a, a fintech company protecting very sensitive data in, in private clouds. Uh, made the jump to Datto about five years ago and, and really applied a lot of those skills that we you know, learned in, in staring down and combating uh, financially motivated threat actors focusing on financial services that in the past five years have increasingly kind of turned their turned their sights on uh, on SMBs uh, and MSPs in, in the channel. And so um, a lot of what I do on a day-to-day basis is trying to help support the MSP community uh, through the work we do at Datto to really combat the endemic ransomware threat that uh, they and their MSP, uh, SMB customers face. That's a full-time job for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, it's interesting to see the shift for sure. And um, you're not going to be bored at work. I can say that much at the moment. <laughs> no, I, I can't remember the last time I was bored at work. <laughs> Never there, just twiddling your thumbs. There's always something going on. Um, so as I mentioned in the intro, obviously we're going to be chatting about uh, kind of cyber resilience, but I think it's always important to kind of bring our listeners up to speed who might not be as well-versed in the subject matter. So to kick off, what is the current state of cyber resilience in the enterprise? Yeah, so the way I tend to think about this is I, I tend to think about where we where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Where we've been has traditionally been focusing on buying technology that promises to prevent bad things from happening. Where we are is in what I would call an assumed breach uh, awakening. Uh, For those that aren't familiar, assumed breach is a mentality that either you are currently or at some point in the future without a doubt, will be compromised. And it's, a, it's an important shift in the way we think about cyber resilience and really cybersecurity, because when you, when you really start to believe and operate under that premise, you start to make different decisions. And we're in, the, we're in this transformation that we think is going to continue to take shape over the next you know, five to 10 years, where MSPs are going to bring 
themselves and their customers on on a journey that enterprises ha- have been on uh, for for a while, which is this this journey towards cyber resilience, which which means adding and layering in strong business continuity, incident response, crisis management capabilities, in addition to their traditional cybersecurity program. Um, and so, you know, kind of a quick example is, again, looking back, if a bad thing happened as an MSP or an SMB, you would just, you know, kind of say, okay, well, my protective controls failed. Let me go straight to recovery. Well, as you start to become un- under larger and larger, th- you know, threat, which increases, you know, your risk, you know, to, to potentially existential risk with ransomware attacks and how sophisticated they've gotten, you now need to focus on the two intervening capability areas between protect and recover, which is detection and response. You want to avoid those catastrophic outcomes. You need to know when your protective controls have failed and give yourself a chance to respond in a way that minimizes the damage and maximizes your ability to recover. And so I think that's the future of where we're going in the next five to 10 years is building cyber resilience programs for MSPs and, and SMEs. And the good news is I think there's, there's appetite for it. Um, unfortunately that appetite has, uh, you know, it took three years of bump being bombarded with ransomware to really start to come to that awakening. But I really feel like we're at a pivotal moment in the IT channel we're about to really hook a right-hand turn onto that path to cyber resilience and, and really change the the fate and the future of security for MSPs and SMBs. Yeah, it, it, it's as you point out, it, it's such a shame that all of these big attacks and not not disparaging any of the small attacks either, all attacks have, have been terrible for organizations, but it's a shame it takes that to kind of get that conversation going and to get it happening. Um, but it is nice to hear that we are kind of going on that journey and as from my perspective, I'm having a lot more of these conversations on the podcast. I'm getting a lot more people saying, so where can I, how can I, how does this all work? And, and that's why we have these conversations. So it's good to see that we're on the right path. Let's just hope it's uh, it's not a long one and we can get people to kind of respond very quickly. Uh, I'm curious as well, in terms of your, your mentioning there about being aware and, uh, and understanding what what's there at the moment. So how important is it for organizations to have that understanding of on the radar for actors when it comes to building that robust uh, robust sorry security program going forward for them yeah so i have a very simple mental model that i I'm, i think i'm becoming you know kind of you know people are, are starting to attribute it with with me which is um know yourself know your enemy know your battlefield and when you're on a path to cyber resilience, you build capabilities that help you with all three. And the good news is, is knowing yourself is, is fairly simple if you take the time to really be self-aware and study yourself, you know, meaning your network, your, you know, your systems, your people, you know, doing risk assessments, things like that. Knowing your battlefield is also simple because that's, that's you, your battlefield is your network. That's where these attacks are taking place. So again, um, you have an advantage there. I think the hardest part is in this knowing your enemy. And we, we kind of like, when it comes to threat management, uh, which is really the discipline of understanding your enemy, is kind of the formal term we give for that in cybersecurity is threat management. Threat management has almost become synonymous with threat intelligence, 
And threat intelligence has become synonymous with this concept of an indicator of compromise, which is like a URL, an IP address, a file hash. And so we've kind of skipped over the most important thing when we think about threat management, which is like, who are these threat groups? What are they motivated by? What are they trying to do? And more importantly, how are they trying to do it? And that how threat actors do what they do is called TTP, a tactic, a technique, or a procedure. Um, also commonly referred to as trade gaff, because in information security, we need to have you know 17 names for the same thing. <laughs> um, but you know, whatever you call it, it's more important, in my opinion, to know who these actors are, how they're going about doing what they're doing, because ultimately you're trying to build a cyber defense for cyber resilience. And you can't really do that if you don't understand the methods that attackers are going to use against you. And so I think for MSPs, there's a tremendous opportunity for them to, to spend time becoming proficient in the, the tradecraft and the TTPs of threat actors, because that gives them not only the opportunity to defend themselves, but it also creates this incredibly powerful chance for them to have conversations with their clients about the things that they can do to help keep them safe. And so, yeah, I, I kind of believe that I, if you want to have a really robust cyber defense, you can't do it unless it's threat informed. We feel so strongly about this and we feel that it's been so difficult for MSPs to gain this understanding that um, my internal threat management team uh, at yesterday's DatoCon previewed four threat profiles uh, of threat actors that have targeted MSPs, SMBs, or channel technology vendors. We built the threat profile for APT29, one for TA551, which is an email uh, security phishing uh, malware uh, type of threat actor, incredibly interesting threat actor. Wizard Spider, which is the threat actor behind Ryuk, and Lockbit, which is a relatively new ransomware uh, as a service threat group uh, on the scene. Uh, these are like eight-page threat profiles that give you dossiers, timelines of attack. We, we take their tradecraft, we map it to the MITRE attack framework. We map that to the defensive things that you can do with the CIS controls. And then we even went so far as to map them to things that you can do in adversary emulation tools to test your detection and response capabilities, which is where I think we need more shoring up uh, as, a, as a, you know, in, in the SMB space. So those are, those are actually available for free to, to any MSP that's, um, that's willing to join the, the Cyber Nation, which is a free community where we talk about, think of it like a social media network where MSPs are talking about the, you know, the attacks that are happening um, and, and the you know kind of the latest information we've we've made those threat profiles available for them there for free uh, until we kind of get a repository stood up at Datto and my team believes so strongly in threat profiles that we're going to continue to crank these out because we think they're going to be a really important tool for MSPs to to you know in their journey to cyber resilience. Amazing. That's great to hear. Having free resources available is, is so important. And I, I think that can sometimes be a bit daunting for organizations or even SMBs or, or complete startups who are kind of getting on this journey. Because as you say, if you're threat informed from the start, then the road is a little bit less bumpy as you kind of go down it. So 
if we take that a little bit further, obviously providing those kind of resources for people is fantastic and it kind of helps people to know that, okay, I can get this and I don't have to bring in XYZ party. I can kind of learn and understand at least the basics. But what really is the best way to approach and curate this threat-informed and risk-based security framework? Is there that kind of specific first line of defense that needs to be implemented or is there other approaches? Yeah, I'm laughing because... Um... I'm also, you know, every week we do this, um, we do a, a weekly call for MSPs we call the cyber call. And I'm, be, I'm becoming known as like a, an inventory uh, zealot. The, the, you know, you, how do you defend yourself or how do you defend your network, which is your battlefield? If you don't even know the things that are in it, the, the software, the data, the systems, um, the, the vendors, how those things interrelate, you know, using data flow diagrams, like to me, like that being a student of yourself first is really where you have to start with the defense. Because once you have that and you start to have this awakening of understanding about your threat actor and how they do what they do, that understanding of yourself and that understanding of your threat actor become very easy to just melt together and really start to figure out where you have risk exposure. And every single company's risk exposure is different. And I mean, I don't care if two MSPs sell the exact same services with the exact same tools. You deliver those services in different ways with different configurations and different processes. And, and so your risk profile is different. And it's not going to be until we really, really start to focus on understanding ourselves and understanding our enemies that we can really start to have more objective understandings of the risk that we, our unique selves, face, and then move forward, you know, in, in building what I think are just, or maybe not building, making more informed risk mitigation decisions, right? And you're going, going back a step, right? That conversation of where we've been is, what protective control do I buy next? Well, that's not the right question anymore. The right question is, which protective controls best help address gaps in my current cyber defense as informed by my understanding of myself and my understanding of how the adversaries in my threat profile will seek to attack me. And that's, so that first step is understanding yourself. Very true. Because as, as you're saying, every single company is different and every single one can be attacked a hundred different ways. Even if we start cloning companies and doing all of that, which I hope not in the future. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of progresses going forward. And I want to kind of hone in on, on this element that, that we're kind of talking about of this testing, of just making sure that everything is working and everything is, is followed up. Because as you say, you can have your vendors, you can have your implemented programs, you could have even your team. How are you testing the effectiveness of the managed detection and the response software that's that's being put in there are mitre attack and adverse uh, adversary emulation tools still reliable are they are they still a, an element that you choose to to dive into uh yeah and i i think for msps they're more reliable than ever and in fact we believe in mitre attack so much that we're engaged directly with them uh, working with them to try and figure out really solve some hard uh, problems when it comes to threat management. Like take a quick sidebar on this, but like one of the conversations we're having with them is you take a ransomware as a service variant, like Revil or Ryuk or Lockbit. That 
ransomware as a service group is they've built the software. They are one group. But the affiliates that deliver the ransomware are a different group. And there could be many affiliate groups. And they each affiliate group may target different types of companies using different tactics. And so one of the conversations we're you know, having with them is how can we help create uh, this concept of um, ransomware affiliate groups that we track that are separate from these ransomware as a service groups? Because what's happening is in the MITRE attack framework, all the, the activities of all these disparate affiliate groups are getting tagged under the single ransomware as a service group. And it's helpful to have that expression, but it becomes a bit overwhelming when you have you know, a very successful variant like Revil was or like Ryuk is or um, Lockbit, which is gaining steam where, where they're picking up affiliate groups, hands over fists, and there might be, you know, 50, 60 ransomware affiliate groups. That becomes a lot to, to kind of differentiate. And, and it's our opinion that specifically for MSPs and SMBs, only a, only a segment of those affiliate groups are actually focusing on them. So yeah, we believe a lot in MITRE ATT&CK. And when it comes to MITRE ATT&CK, the reason you need MITRE ATT&CK is because MITRE ATT&CK is the way we express the how attackers do what they do. And when we know how the attackers do what they do, we can then test our environments using those same tactics, those same TTPs. And that's where adversary emulation tools come in. They literally say, hey, I think that this, you know, you know, pick your pick a tactic ID out of the MITRE attack framework. I think that this is in a the profile of a threat actor that I may potentially need to do battle with someday. And I want to test that those tactics are able to either be prevented or detected in my environment. And this is powerful because it's a question of what are you trying to test? Are you testing people response times to these alerts? Are you testing ability of the technology to correctly identify these tactics? Are you, are you testing a, a specific technology? Are you testing the overall combination of how it all connects together? But the beautiful thing is you can repeat these processes as much as you want until you get it right. Um, it's like perfecting a recipe right? The, the only thing you need to do is just start doing it. Um, and I think this is an area, you know, thinking, going back to that framework of where we've been, where we are, and where we're going, we are in a moment where we've, MSPs and SMBs are onboarding technologies to help them with this detection and response capability. The literal next step that we have to take is proving the effectiveness of that detection and response program and that's where that knowing your enemy piece, which the MITRE ATT&CK framework helps, we can translate that directly into those adversary emulation capabilities to test our detection and response. And that's why I think these threat profiles that we're building are so important because we literally take the MSP on that entire journey in an eight-page document. Excellent. You know, I asked that MITRE question in that way to kind of get you fired up and defend MITRE. So I'm glad it worked. And uh, you're right, it's 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 a great <laughs> kind of tool to have and, and work forwards with. Um, so kind of final questions here before, before I let you go. Obviously, 
we've been talking about how great that has been for keeping MSP safe. And I'm just kind of curious for you to take that a little bit further. And, you know, we've got the Dato SAS defense. Um, we're talking about tackling major industry issues, you know, your catastrophic risk, your crisis in confidence and opportunity costs. So talk to me about how Dato is working to keep these MSPs safe and where you see it going in the future and, and what you're hoping to see happen um, going forward. Yeah. I had a really powerful conversation with their CTO yesterday, um, right before DattoCon. And he shared a quote with me, which is, uh, I, I can't get it out of my head um, over the last 24 hours. And the quote goes something like this, um, success has a hundred fathers, orphans have none. And it really resonates with me because in my head, I'd, I've had this analogy that MSPs and SMBs, I, I almost feel like a fatherly responsibility around protecting them and keeping them safe. And Bob said to me, and I think this is the thing that you know kind of got me really, just really energized was it is our mission to make sure that no MSPs are orphaned in this battle uh, that we find ourselves entangled in. And I think that real, like that underlying premise of how we feel and how we think about protecting the channel and SMBs, that it has like this, this pervasive infectiousness that bleeds its way into every single thing that we do um, at Datto. And so like I, I would go so far as to say that um, we're we're slightly obsessed with trying to keep MSPs and SMBs secure. So much so that you know we we've thrown out features and functionality, you know, quote unquote revenue generating features and functionality in our roadmaps to do things just to keep them safe at no additional cost because that's the right thing to do. And you know, when we do bring in a new technology play like, um, you know, cloud, you know, data continuity for Azure cloud or the, the data SaaS defense tool with formerly Bitdam, we use this same mentality of understanding the threat actor, understanding the challenges MSP face and our burning desire to provide them real capabilities that keep them safe. And we look at these builds, these technology builds and these acquisitions through that lens do we actually think that this technology will move the needle for MSPs? Do we think it's operatable from a process perspective in a way that leads to quality and consistent and rigorous outcomes? And most importantly, minimizing the people burden or leveraging the people they already have. So being really MSP friendly. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to really encapsulate how, how I really feel about this, but... This is absolutely critical for us in how we think about building technology and keeping MSP safe. 100% agree. And I think that was perfectly put. I'm going to be getting all of my uh, social media promo quotes from that answer. So thank you for that, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> excellent answer. And always a pleasure to have you on here and talk about this stuff. I think you've got a, a great mind for where this is going and how companies should be approaching this. So thank you for coming on and uh, giving us your insight into all of this. Yeah, I don't I don't often say this, but this this was a really fun conversation and I really hope that, you know, both both, you know, we get to continue to have this conversation and that 
this conversation really catches fire with uh, with MSPs because it is the conversation that we should all be having. 100% agree. And uh, listeners, if you're out there, there's uh, a lot to be gained from what we've discussed here today. And if you're looking to get more information, then I really strongly recommend you head over to datto.com. We'll be putting the link obviously down in the description, but there's some fantastic resources that really to go into what we've discussed today. And you can have a chat with the team there to, to go into it a little bit further. We'll, of course, be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, please subscribe on all major platforms to this podcast. Join the conversation at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, you can head on over to em360tech.com.